0: That Houston.
1: All five by five. But what
2: if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. it. Get away from her, you bitch! I breathe. I'm Batman. You? I
3: do not. There is no tomorrow. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got
2: Dan Watkins,
3: Louise Taylor,
2: Peter Johnson, John Farthing.
3: I'm Hazel Burton. On the show today, we've got some brand new nerdy recommendations for you.
0: So many that it's a recommendations only show. We'll be looking at Toy Story 4, The Handmaid's Tale, Brightburn, Big Little Lies and Years and Years.
3: So let's get started. Uh, Yes, so you've heard her being mentioned on probably all of our episodes and she (laughs) is here in the flesh and we are delighted to have
1: Louise join us. To defend myself, <laughs>
4: <Yes>. <laughs> I'm not got to at all.
2: <laughs> Here is a list of John's allegations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How are you, Louise? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: It's uh,
4: absolutely pleasure. Uh, <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> More of an obligation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it begins
3: to allow the listeners to get to know you a little bit. What kind of movies,
1: nerdy things are you into? Things John makes me go and see mainly. <laughs> so Nick, or oh, which Nick? Um, both the Nicks, both the Nicks, all the Nicks. Nick yeah. Cave and Nick Cage.
2: Yeah, heard you were a big fan of Mandy.
1: Oh yes, that was great. <laughs> we watch it at least every fortnight. In fact, just the other week, John said, "I'm going to put Jaws on," and then he opened the Jaws box, took out a DVD, put it in, and it was Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went, "How did this happen?" And we sat and watched it for half an uh, hour. Uh,
0: what before you noticed? <laughs>
1: no, before I I put my foot
3: down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, recommendations time. So this is where we talk about things that we've been watching or enjoying recently. Dan, what about you?
2: Can I have two recommendations this episode, please?
1: Greedy. Really? Have you make in... them
2: quick, <laughs> okay. Well, my first one will be a quick mini recommendation, and it's because I recently watched uh, the Last Watch, which is the documentary that came out Ooh. after the final episode of Game of Thrones about the making of Season Eight
0: documentary.
2: Mm. Really, really interesting and. A fantastic tribute to the thousands and thousands of hours of work that went into it from so many different people, people who worked in the prosthetics, to the producers, the location managers, to the head of snow, a guy called yeah. Dell, whose job it was <laughs> was to make everything snowy, which um not to is... head
4: to snow. <laughs>
2: yes. Um <laughs> that as well. But it was fascinating and it was actually quite moving as well. It it felt like a quite an emotional finale that like when the two prosthetics workers who were married had their daughter come over after not having seen her for a few weeks because of how long the days had been and she got to have a cameo as a wildling for the final episode and just the smiles on their faces as she got to be in mm-hmm. this thing that's taken over their lives for however long and the extra who's been in the stark army since season five or something He's like that brilliant. who just loves the show and he had a chat with Kit Harrington on their last day on the set, and just the way it affects him. You see Kit Harrington give a speech after his final scene, which is made even more touching by what we know happened to Kit Harrington, having to go into rehab afterwards. You can see how affected he is by this huge part of his life finishing. Yeah, it's just really interesting to watch. Game of Thrones has kind of been the latest in a very small series of shows that I've had an obsession with for their run. It started with Buffy and that was just my thing for like six years. It ended and there was a hole in my life and then Lost came about and that took over six years and then that finished.
0: We're very sorry.
2: Stop it. (laughs) Um, And then that finished and a year later Game of Thrones came about and that was the thing to obsess about and theorise over and just kind of take over my nerd brain Mm -hmm. and now that's finished. And I don't know with the way that TV works compared to even when Game of Thrones started, whether there'll be another show that just everybody obsesses over. So this was just a really nice cap on that. And it made me want to go back and watch season eight again and kind of think, okay, even if I felt some bits were a bit rushed, I still really like the finale, but watching it, knowing how much love and how much effort has been poured into it. You can't fault the dedication. Every single person on that show was making the best thing they possibly could. And this kind of proves that. So Mm -hmm. I really recommend that. What I found really odd was you got the sense of that this was very much
0: their day job. Yeah. It's not like, say, when you make a movie, you decamp somewhere and do something odd for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this case, you know, it's like they've been doing it year in, year out. Yeah. Sometimes changing jobs on the show over time.
2: Um, I hope she won't mind me saying this, but um, a friend of mine from Belfast called Steph, after she graduated uni, went back to Northern Ireland and managed to get a job as a runner on this new Sean Bean programme that they were making. Mm. That turned out to be Game of Thrones. And she worked her way up, ended up, I think, in the post-production department. And by season five or six, she was in the end credits. So, it's created this huge thing in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland that hopefully will continue yeah. with other well, things. Well, what are they going to do with the sort of facilities and crew that well, are They've started shooting there. the prequel series already, All oh, um, right, okay. um, which I'm a little bit concerned about because it's supposed to be set 5,000 years beforehand. 5,000? Yeah, and I have this kind of thing with Star Wars as well with the Old Republic, which is set thousands of years before the Skywalker saga. Mm. But if you play those games and you read those books... They've still got droids, like they had. They've still got lightsabers. Blasters and ships and hyperspace all still work the same way. And you think, okay, so progress has stuck for thousands of years. 5,000 years after this prequel, they're still using swords and bows and arrows and horses and things. When something's already set in the past and then you go even further back, it, it kind of takes me out mm-hmm. of it a little bit.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Just come back to documentary, I love that it's told mainly through the eyes of the background characters and the and the crew rather than the, the, the headlining actors. The guy that you reference who plays the extra in this dark army and has done for years, he now runs the tour where they go and visit all the sets and everything like that where everything was filmed. And um the, the kind of the end credits has him at the front of the tour bus people asking him... Me, that's me. (laughs) Asking him how uh, the trouble started. He said, well, it all started when uh, Jamie Lannister pushed uh, Bran out of the window. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you just see the passion and enthusiasm and dedication thrown into that production from people who've dedicated their lives to it. And it's wonderful to watch.
0: It's quite weird when you watch the things where the show how the effects are done and all the green screen stuff. The tour must be like you go and there's three or four steps with a column (laughs) behind it. And they go, and that's the... Entry to King's Landing or something, and then we'll go, Yeah, where's the rest of it?
1: <laughs> I think it's the experience you wrap around it, though, for people, mm-hmm. how much other stuff you can show them about the series.
2: So that's recommendation number one. That wasn't as quick as I'd promised. I'm sorry. Um, recommend- <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah. Wait. Um, <laughs> <laughs> recommendation number two is Toy Story 4.
0: Yay! No. Yay! Oh, is yeah,
2: um, good? It's, a, it's really, really good. Fuck
3: um, me, it's good. <laughs> yes.
2: Um, so fourth in the series that started in the mid-90s when I would have been about eight years old, going to watch the first film to be made completely with computer animation. Everybody who grew up with that film is now grown up. And this film kind of reflects that. It's nine years after the events of many of the previous films where Bo Peep is lost and Andy's starting to grow up. Mm -hmm. It's about a year after Andy has given all his toys away to Bonnie. And for the first time that he remembers, Woody is not the centre of a kid's life. And it's kind of Woody's story. It's about how that affects him and how the complication arises when Bonnie, on her first day of kindergarten, makes a new toy out of a plastic spork. Mm -hmm. And he is called Forky and he is amazing.
0: Everyone was a bit, when they saw the trailer, they thought it was a joke, really. The teaser stuff, yeah. where, where you first introduced that character. It was like, did someone just spend five minutes making this character?
2: Yeah, but in his first scene, he just completely wins you over. And the way <laughs> Tony Hale voices him, he's fantastic. He thinks he's trash. Mm. It's been a week or two since we watched it. And you could see a fork anywhere and you would just go, trash? Trash? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Forky is now a part right. of my mind. But if they don't hit the emotional highs of Toy Story 1 or Toy Story 3, that's an incredibly high Mm -hmm. level to try and beat. If Toy Story 3 was about the kid growing up and not needing the toys anymore, this one is about what happens when you've been looking after a kid and they don't need you anymore and what you do after that. Mm -hmm. Like Woody isn't needed like Andy needed him anymore. He's grown up. What does Woody do with his life now? how does he find meaning? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's... Existential yeah, angst there's for Yeah, there's a lot of existential angst in it but it's also really, really funny. Keanu Reeves is in it playing a Canadian stunt toy called Duke Kaboom, um, <laughs> whose advert promised he could do massive jumps and he, he can't. Or can he? Um, <laughs> and yeah, it has all of the nice lightness of touch and humour that you want from Pixar. It's also got... Well, I'll say that the cinema screen we were in just really dusty <laughs> at several points <laughs> Something like, in yeah like right at the start when randy newman starts singing you've got a friend in me like my hay fever just really got at <laughs> me and then it was so dusty at the end it was really odd yeah. and I, I think other cinemas have had this same problem of dust just coming in at these certain moments oh, in the yeah. film it's really really weird uh, but excellent film it might not be the best toy story film but you know the best toy story film is an incredibly good film So this one is still fantastic and worth seeing as well.
3: It is.
4: I think I said in a previous podcast, I didn't quite see the point of it, but it seems like it deals with that a little bit. Yeah. It felt to me like Toy Story 3 was the end of the story.
2: It's the end of Andy's story, but it's not necessarily the end of Woody's story. There is still somewhere for him to go. Mm-hmm. after that. You could maybe say this one underserves people like Buzz and Jesse a little bit, but um, I think yeah. it, it does focus on Woody and this one feels like the end of his story. Yeah. Hazel, how did you find it?
3: Oh, I absolutely loved it. Woody's journey is a really interesting one in that he's realised that he's not the centre of attention anymore. So he finds a different role and this role is to kind of guide Sporky from thinking that he's trash and then trying to abandon Bonnie to making him realise that he is Bonnie's most important toy and the transition that they go through is just wonderful. But I also really liked Bo Peep's story in that she has been a lost toy for seven years now and is making it out on her own. She uses her staff like a weapon, like a Jedi (laughs) she's a massively strong female character and your eyes get drawn to her consistently. She totally matches anyone she's on screen with. I thought it was just wonderful. And in comparison to other toy stories, I just wouldn't get bogged down in that because Mm. this is its own story. Buzz Lightyear is kind of, I didn't really enjoy his story. It's just like, oh yeah, I've seen that one before. Yeah,
2: you can kind of find that he's still not quite fully to grips with himself.
3: But Jesse does get a good ending, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, a rightful ending. So there's lots of, kind of current themes within this story. And it's well worth
0: a watch. Mm, cool. Louise, what have you been watching?
1: So I was going to recommend the latest series of The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be the
0: men asking that question. I thought
1: I would bring it up because I'm know surprised it's never been. <laughs> no, we don't. I'm surprised you've not covered it before, but from other conversations, I know that other people may be not as big a fan. So I should probably say a bit about the premise of the show, really, although I'm pretty sure everyone's familiar with it. It's based on a novel by Margaret Atwood, which is set in a sort of a dystopian alternate America where a super-religious fascist regime has taken over America. And it's basically... Well, well, exactly, yeah,
4: yeah. This is a documentary. <laughs> it's
1: so close to a documentary. This is the scary thing about it, the more you watch it, particularly over the last few years. So it's set in this um, horrendous fascist regime that just basically oppresses women as its main sort of tenet. The way it's visualised in the TV series, it has very... Nazi-style imagery. And and particularly in the most recent episode, there was a big rally held at the Washington Monument and they draped banners down the side of it. They had the statue of Lincoln that had been destroyed as part of the war, where the fascists had taken over. And it was a quite shocking thing to see in this most recent episode. This regime's kind of emerged because fertility rates are dropping and less children are being born. So to try and reverse this, the people in charge have decided that all fertile women are basically the property of the state and can be kidnapped, taken away from their families and doled out to the leadership to provide them with more children. So it is really grim viewing, the the things that happen in these households and how these women are sort of abused just purely to produce children, which they are then forced to hand over to other people. And quite often they then get packed off to another house to do the same for somebody else. It is grim and horrible viewing, but the thing I find quite compelling about it is that the underlying message is basically... This is what can happen if you don't challenge these kind of regimes and thoughts that are coming through. And because the earlier series have been really focused on this one community and what happens there, and it's quite an insular community, it's a very small suburb that they focus on. You go to the shops with them, you go to the sort of the town hall with them, but it's all very contained. In the most recent episode, they've gone to Washington. The main character, June, who's played by Elizabeth Moss, she's one of the women who's being sort of abused and forced to get pregnant and give her children over to someone else. And she's being manipulated as part of a political moment between America and Canada. And increasingly in the most recent series, you see a lot more of the world outside of this Gilead, this alternate America. The more recent series has been interesting because at the end of the second series, there was a moment where June, the main character, had an opportunity to escape and she'd been essentially spent two whole series trying to escape and she didn't take it. And at this point, she'd escaped with her baby and she gave the baby to someone else and decided to go back to the oppressive household she'd be in. And at that point, I kind of thought, oh, I don't buy this at all. I'm not sure anyone would do that. But in the third series, it's a lot more about her stirring resistance, being political and working with the families that essentially own her to try and manipulate them, which is a really interesting turn of events.
2: That sounds
0: dangerous. Yeah. A lot of the plot you recapped is from the first season, which I've watched. Do her books correspond just the first season or the later series? I think seasons it's predominantly the
1: first series. So, a lot of the more recent episodes and plot lines, they're not connected to the books that Margaret Atwood's written, although she is writing a sequel, which is coming out, I think, next year or possibly mm. later this year.
4: You're going to see her, aren't you?
1: I am. I'm very excited about that. She's doing a sort of in conversation tour where she's going around and speaking to people about the new mm. sequel to the books. She is a producer on the series as well. I think it's similar to Game of Thrones in the sense that she sanctions everything they've done as much as it might not be what will be in the sequel that she's writing. But increasingly in the most recent series it's become more of a comment on contemporary America and the things that are happening in that political environment. As June has started to become aware of the politics of what's happening in Gilead and as an audience we're becoming more aware as she digs into it and finds out what's going on. And she's also manipulating them and starting to try and sow seeds of dissent It's backfired, to be honest. The episode I'm up to now is not going so well, but it's still keeping me hooked. It is grim viewing. There are some terrible things that happen in there. In the most recent episode, they visit the household of another senior leader and they've got a handmaid in their house as well. And you sort of discover through the course of the episode that they've literally stapled her mouth shut to prevent her from speaking in the house, which is a horrible moment. But they've covered her mouth with a hood so that nobody really notices And as June leaves the house after stirring up a load of trouble, they put a hood on her as well. So you're left thinking, well, where is this going to end for her? It makes me angry in a way that makes me want to keep watching it. And Mm -hmm. the underlying message of this is what happens if you let these kind of regimes go unchecked and you don't challenge them is very inspiring, I think. I
0: think the, the grimness is one reason I maybe stopped watching after one season. I
1: can totally understand that because... I mean, I read The Book of the Handmaid's Tale many, many years ago when I was kind of first getting into reading like sci-fi and things like that. So it's really stuck with me and I've kind of had that horrible storyline in mind for a long time. So I've been aware of it as a concept. So mm-hmm. maybe that's why I found it more not easy watching, but I was more willing to stick with it and see what the consequences were.
0: Why do you think generally men are tending not to watch it?
1: I don't know, but I do find that. I find that quite often I would mention it to men, some of them present, and they just <laughs> say, well, it didn't really interest me. And I do wonder if it's because the story is 100% told from the perspective of women. It's all about what is happening to the women and how they're being oppressed and how people are sort of just letting it slide and... I don't know if it's because people don't want to watch something that it deals with that kind of horrible oppressive regime. That might well be it. It's not something that's pleasant to watch. Mm. But it could I've... also
4: be that I always enjoyed the first series, mm. uh, but came back when the pub to find somebody had watched the first two episodes of the second series. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just and starting.
1: never caught up. Yes. Maybe it's that. don't know. Mm, yeah. um, <laughs> um,
4: I enjoyed the first series, but haven't felt any urge to watch the second when it came back i know it sounds odd mm. yeah i think part
2: of that for me was hearing reports of the second series and how it was grim like the first series but unrelentingly so and the reports i'd heard were saying every time there's even a glimmer of hope it is squashed yeah. and it just feels like there is no hope so did I'd, all
0: three I'd, of us do the same thing yeah. we all watched it <laughs> so, with, our, yeah. with our girlfriend yeah. and our
2: wives i then. i do kind of need a little bit of mm-hmm. the, the ember of the spark hope. of the light of the hope that well, me, one day things will be better, which apparently the second series didn't have, but does the third?
1: Yes, it hope? does very much so. Okay, is The underlying the- theme is much more about resistance in the third series.
4: Although okay. okay, the season three, it seems like it justifies it. It sounds like the sort of thing that really annoys me in a TV series where you have that bit of full momentum and then they've got to do a reset on it because the story wouldn't end otherwise.
1: I went into the third series thinking I'm worried that they've hit a wall here, but they've won me round. Also, they've had um, some very interesting guest stars in the most recent series. So Bradley Whitford is a very prominent character in this series. Oh, I can see you're both more interested. <laughs> yeah, <we
4: are>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now the, there's a man involved. The West, the West, the West, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's the yes. West Wing what link. was more old white men.
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, Bradley Whitford, Josh in the West Wing. I thought you would like that one. I'm mm-hmm. throwing that one in just to try and persuade you to watch it again. And also Christopher Maloney from Happy. He's just propped up as well as another sort of senior figure in the Gilead community.
3: So is Bradley Whitford, is he more similar to his like get out role, which is like quite creepy yeah it's very similar
2: to (laughs) (laughs) santos turned out to be a terrible president
1: yes it is you should watch (laughs) he's one of the founding fathers of the religion really so he's he's like the mastermind behind the takeover and and that sort of thing but he's wavering a bit in his commitment now Mm -hmm. and he did actually help someone escape at the end of the last series and he's taken june the main character into his house so she's somewhere a bit safer now because he is more open to helping Mm. her.
3: I can see why Bradley Whitford would want to get involved in a series like that, because he's very outspoken on uh, such issues on Twitter and everything. I think he'd probably want to feel part of it.
2: I remember when they announced they were doing a TV series of The Handmaid's Tale, I assumed it was going to be an adaptation of the book, and kind of done as a limited series, uh, like you'd get a Les Miserables or a War and Peace. Mm -hmm. And it surprised me that it was getting a second series that went beyond the book, Does anybody know if that was the plan all along or whether it was supposed to be just the book? I think they were looking for things that create a world that you can set a load of things in. It it does that.
1: I think Hulu are making long-running series mainly as well. I don't Mm, think they tend to do short Although
4: they've just picked up Catch-22, haven't they? And that's always intended as a one-off. Whether we might get Catch-23 next year would be a terrible idea.
2: (laughs) Joseph Heller didn't write a sequel to Catch-22, did he? He did,
4: actually, yes, but many, many years later called Closing Time. And it's the Yasserian in a Retirement Home. Right. It's on my bookshelf and it has never been read. And I love the original, but I kind of picked it up and thought, I'll read this one day and never have done
2: yeah. Um, Louise, what did you think of Kylie Jenner's Handmaid's Tale themed party that she threw for her friend?
1: Oh my God, I was not aware of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just based on that sentence alone, I'm appalled. <laughs>
2: there was a lot of Instagram stories of her showing her very excited friend all of this amazing decor they had, and they had a whole rack of handmade costumes they could get dressed oh up in, and they had under his eye cocktails...
1: That is horrifying. It
2: got some flack on social media because it felt a little bit like they had kind of missed the point. I
1: think the thing (laughs) about about Handmaid's Tale is that they have some amazing directors working on it and they have this really distinct visual thing where obviously the handmaids are all dressed in red and the the wives of the leaders are all dressed in green and they overuse it as a visual Mm -hmm. metaphor and there was one point in the most recent episode where two people were walking towards each other and you could tell they just thought that looked amazing visually and it wasn't
4: really helping the plot or anything. It looked a bit forced. Did this party end with Kylie Jenner getting her mouth stitch shut? <gasps> oh
2: my God. I am now showing images from said party to Louise.
1: <laughs> Have they ever seen it? Do they even know what they're doing? Oh, it uh, is quite, are, they we- it? are they wearing bombs?
0: Can you describe what you're seeing, Louise?
1: Just vapid Instagram women dressed in red outfits posing for selfies with their phones. That is um wow. I'm sure they think that the entire thing of handmaiden's
3: tale can all be solved with a Pepsi. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was another Jenner, wasn't it? Really, really bad taste with a Pepsi advert that's people who are protesting legitimate did concerns see that could yeah. be abided
1: by a Pepsi. They took that down in about three hours, they didn't, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Really, really bad idea.
2: Judging by that, really really getting the handmaid's tale. Yeah.
1: Loving it. Ready for Gilead to come, apparently. yep. That's really scary. I
4: may go back because I really enjoyed, isn't the word, but I... Endured. Enjoyed. <laughs> I appreciated the first series. Yeah. I think um, yeah, You've convinced
3: the, me to watch yeah. more because I have watched a few episodes, but
1: yeah, the grimness sort of... The third series, I would say, because it is more political and sort of focusing more on how the society is structured and how they interact with other societies now, there's a lot less of focus on that side of it. Mm-hmm. But the first series in particular was parts of the second series as well were just very much consumed with this sort of domestic environment and the terrible things that yeah. happened in there so yeah
0: could you skip the second and go straight to the third no they're too connected
1: the main character has a child in the second series and the whole third series is very much focused around what happens to that child and mm. the child's parentage and all of these things so i don't think so i wouldn't recommend it yeah
0: it's just if you're a version to grimness <laughs> yeah <laughs> that you didn't want to go through the second series
1: <laughs> you could do that
4: but i think you would lose a lot john what have you what have i been what watching have you what have i that's an existential question <laughs> uh, you, what, what, what have i been what have i been watching <laughs> <laughs> probably with knowing <laughs> john um, <laughs> um i've i don't have a recommendation i have something that i saw. <sighs>
2: trash
4: Pe- even louise is prepared no I've, I've got something that i have seen but that I don't think I can you recommend we're going to have to rename this segment
2: all of your
3: recommendations in the last six episodes I'm not sure I would call it a recommendation <laughs> yeah.
4: but, but recently have <laughs> been things don't, that I've enjoyed which again isn't always a recommendation it's, It not always a okay, good but this is something that I was disappointed by unfortunately and I was a bit I, it's uh, it's my relationship no, um, oh! <laughs>
3: sex relationship
1: i'd like to change mine
4: <laughs> no it was um, something i was a bit disappointed with which is a shame because i was looking forward to it and it is brightburn the new james gunn produced sci-fi horror movie
1: i saw the trailer for this and i honestly don't know why you were looking forward to it
4: <laughs> because i liked the concept so essentially this is a story stop me you've heard this one before <laughs> a childless couple who live on a farm in a small village One day, a meteorite lands in their back garden, and they go and they find amongst the wreckage of the meteorite a spaceship with a child in it. And they decide, rather than alert the authorities, that they are going to adopt the child and raise it as their own. As the child grows up, they realise that the child has superpowers and may not, in fact, be of this earth.
0: So, how have they avoided DC's lawyers?
4: Fair use parody, maybe? So, that's the setup. Obviously, we're dealing with the Superman story here, but the question is what if instead of Superman being an angelic child who has come to save the earth, being somebody of more evil intentions?
1: Super Damien.
4: Mm. Essentially, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is one of my criticisms of it. You get to the point where the child turns 12, sort of starts to hit puberty. And things take a darker turn. He, he's bullied at school. The spaceship starts calling to him. His behaviour goes off the rails a little bit at the same time as so his puberty. superpower. Puberty. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. So how would Superman cope with puberty?
1: They skirted around that in his films a bit, didn't they? They
4: did, didn't they? Uh, Super wet dreams. Oh, oh. just... St- why is that hole in the ceiling dripping? <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's a really, really interesting concept.
3: So is it to do with, like the the ways raised, like, no. like a nurture nature? Sort
4: of yeah, this thing? Is that not, was what I thought. As that's well. what I wanted. And at Superman in the past, they've done what if comics. So they've, they've done one where Superman landed in Russia instead of England, and just completely changes the Cold War. England. So where he lands in Russia instead of America, <laughs> and completely changed the Cold War. There is one where he lands in England. Yeah. And he's saving the world whilst drinking a cup of tea. Going, oh, jolly good.
2: Good <laughs> co- read, 100%.
4: <laughs> Co-written by John Cleese. Yeah,
2: Henry Cavill could have played that
4: part. Yes, and I believe that there's actually a Nazi Superman in the comics. So, they've done, But same. these are all sort of alternate universe stories. So I was interested in a story about that, about nature or nurture and what if he'd been raised differently. Uh, you don't get any of that. Basically, the parents are Martha and... Jonathan. Jonathan Kent. Why did you say that name? (laughs) (laughs) That was my mother's name too. (laughs) Who are just confused by what's happening. And about half an hour in, it just turns into the omen, but with sci-fi trappings. It's entertaining enough. It's surprisingly gory. I don't know if it's a 15 or an 18 over here, but it's really nasty in places. If you don't like eyes, or if you like eyes, (laughs) this is not the film for you. There's one sequence where I was wincing and looked away from the screen.
3: Oh my God. Is it like God. a Kill Bill Volume 2 moment where Daryl Hannah gets her second eye popped out by the bride and then stamped on and it all squishes? It's
4: worse than that. Oh. I'm out. No, <laughs>
1: no, 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 no eye stuff.
4: And there's another couple of very gory deaths in there. The kid's are a bit tedious, not a very good actor. The parents are a guy that I recognise but I've never heard of and I can't remember his name and the mum is Elizabeth Banks.
2: The guy's played by David Denman. That's it. But I couldn't tell you what he's been in.
4: Now, because James Gunn was involved in this, I I was excited because before James Gunn was a guy of the Galaxy guy, he was a Troma guy. You know, he was the guy that wrote uh, Troma and Julia and then he directed Slither and Super, which is a really, really interesting, twisted take on a superhero film.
0: Sounds much more different to this. Yeah. Um, because Super's about an ordinary guy mm. patrolling the streets to try and fight crime, isn't it?
4: Yeah, and I, I love Super, but it's got none of that off-kilter sensibility. It just becomes a, a generic horror film. There's a few bits without wanting to completely spoiler it near the end. We're
1: literally never going to watch this job. People
4: who are listening <laughs> may, right, m- then. may yeah, watch got it. no <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Hello. laughs> <laughs> there's a few interesting bits at the end where he feels betrayed by people close to him and that may be what sets him on his final turn. It's really, really frustrating because there's a really good, interesting film underneath there fighting its way to get out but being strangled by the generic summer horror film Mm. that it's within. People like Cronenberg back in the day and George Romero Wes Craven and John Carpenter would make those sort of films where you would get interesting ideas put in a palatable context by treating them as sci-fi or horror. And I miss that sort of film, and I've thought that's what we might get, but it's not what I got. I got um, 85 minutes long, that petered out, terrible setup for a sequel at the end, and really reminded me of a M. Night Shyamalan film rather than a James Gunn film. So I would catch it when it comes on cable or um, streaming or whatever it is these days, but I wouldn't bother going to the cinema to see it.
1: Is it not on Netflix now?
2: That's Bright. <gasps> oh. Yeah, Bright in cinemas, Bright on Netflix.
4: It's better than Bright on Netflix. Mm. Not high price. No.
2: But how many super-powered children out of ten would you give it? Four. Mm. Recommendations. Not a recommendation.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's a recommendation not to go void. and see it. Okay.
3: So I wanted to recommend... Big Little Lies, yes, yeah. mm. which is on Sky Atlantic at the moment. It's in its second season. But if you haven't seen any of it yet, it's only seven episodes long in terms of the first season because they kind of filmed it like a movie. It was first envisioned as a movie. It's got an absolutely amazing cast. It's got Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, Sinead Woodley, um, Adam Scott loads and loads of people that you've heard of. And it's set in this kind of sleepy Californian town, but everyone is very, very rich and uh, very kind of well off. So it explores the idea of perfection and behind it. If you were looking at these families and lifestyles uh, on the outside, you think you'd, you'd want to be them. You'd, you know, they'd have everything they could possibly want. But under that is, you know, marriages that are not what they seem on the surface. It deals with um, abuse between husbands and wives.
0: Is there more of that in the second series? That was a big theme in the first one, wasn't it?
3: In the first series, there was a um, murder stroke manslaughter stroke death, however you see it. And that is kind of the main theme of the second series, how they cover it up. But the, the lie is being picked away bit by bit by um, mm. certain circumstances. It's a really, really interesting idea, actually. And it's produced by Nicole Kidman and uh, Reese Witherspoon. They read the book, which is by a lady called uh, Leanne Moriarty.
0: Sounds like made up name, doesn't it?
3: (laughs) Flew over to Australia to persuade her to give up the rights so they could make something and um, very, very quickly she did. And yeah, it's just a really, really epic drama.
0: I would think for a writer, knowing you're going to have actors of that level... And it must be a good thing because, you know, yeah. that it will get attention. People watch
2: it. They'll be good in it. And you can tell the actors are having a really good time with like, the depth mm-hmm. of the material as well. Like The performances are so well drawn and the mm-hmm. characters are so believable and complex. Everything they do, you can justify it. You can reason with it. You just get drawn into them as people, even if you take out the main plot of the mystery and the death just watching Laura Dern's character act with her husband, yeah. they can exchange a few lines of dialogue and there's so many layers to it. It's, yeah. it's just so, like, so compelling.
3: Shaleen Woodley, who, what did we first see her in? I can't remember. Divergent? Um, so, yes. Well, I, I, the been...
2: Descendants with George Clooney, I think, was the first That's thing I saw right, her in. yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, so she had quite exposure to um, fame and stardom quite early in her life, but she didn't deal with it too well and she was considering giving up acting altogether. But she saw the script for Big Little Lies and was persuaded to do it by um, Laura Dern, who she'd met on a previous set. And yeah, she saw the script and was like, yeah, I've I've got to be part of this. Uh, It's
1: a really, really tight script. I really enjoy Nicole Kidman in it as well. I think think it's a really subtle performance. And it's kind of shown me another side of her as an actor, I think. Was it more subtle than
4: her performance in Aquaman?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So
3: Nicole Kidden's character is the one who is abused by her husband in the first series. And she did actually end up with bruises because she told Alexander Skarsgård not to go easy on her. And um, he would always make sure that she was okay and spent a lot of time with her. But um, yeah, she fully immersed herself into this character. They also go to therapy together to try and mend their marriage and apparently they didn't rehearse those scenes so they could generally were trying to guess each other's emotions during the therapy session they generally don't know how each other's feeling about things and we saw that on screen which is cool
2: yeah, and all the main characters have got kids who were all at school together and you see how the lies and things that the parents are doing affect the kids at school the first episode of the first series one of the kids I think it's Laura Dern's daughter is being picked Arabella, on yeah, yeah. Again, with Amabella, there's a thing in the second series that happens with her based on what's been happening with her mum and dad. And it just draws you in. Yeah, climate change (laughs) is very worried about as well, as we all should be. Yeah. And Andrea Arnold, who made American Honey and I think Fish Tank, has directed, I think, all the episodes of the second series.
1: And they look stunning. You can sort of see her work in it and how beautiful it is to look at
2: yeah and great music as well yes yeah Um, yeah. there's a fantastic use of janice joplin in the first series that had me kind of straight onto itunes to download big brother and the holding company
3: albums (laughs) yeah so the the first season was, was completely based on the book that was it done but due to the fact that the actors wanted to work together again due to the fact that it was a mainly female cast and that was really really appealing leanne moriarty wrote a second novella type thing which hasn't been released but it has been based on what we're seeing in the second series
0: like a plot outline.
3: yeah essentially um, wrote a character called Mary Louise which is Meryl Streep's real name um, and so she wrote a, um, a character with her in mind and luckily Meryl Streep took on the role and is uh, amazing
0: before she knew it, she was definitely going to play it Do
3: you know I'm not sure about that the, mm. in terms of the time is I don't know if it was you know, chicken and egg but regardless she is wonderful absolutely mm. brilliant to watch She's appeared with most of the cast before, like Nicole Kidman, who she has a close relationship to in the series. They play off each other very, very well.
2: Um, I heard an interview with Reese Witherspoon where she essentially said that most of the other members of the cast, when they had their first scene opposite Meryl Streep, the nerves were Mm. as high as they've ever been. And she, having won, (laughs) Reese Witherspoon, having won an Oscar, just forgot her lines (laughs) and just crumbled when they had their first scene together because it's Meryl Streep. And watching her in character in the series, you can totally believe that you would crumble opposite that character. Yeah. Because she is so, so good, but frightening Mm. in a lovely way.
3: Yeah, like not in an overbearing, like thunderous, yelling sort of way. It's very understated power. So You can feel the tension in that room. Control, yeah. Uh. Control is a big theme uh, that was in the first series and carried over to the second series. So, yeah, I really would recommend it.
0: I love the first series, though I'd kind of heard the second one was coming. I didn't kind of spot it start. So where can I find it?
3: It's on Sky, so Sky Atlantic.
0: Streaming on Now TV. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. For mine, I've been watching Years and Years,
1: mm. which is currently
0: available on BBC iPlayer, and it's just starting to be shown in the US. Oh, really? Yeah. It's been written by Doctor Who and Queer as Folk writer and showrunner, Russell T Davies. It takes one family and looks at what happens to them and the country over the next 10 or 20 years as we slide into an increasingly grim future, which seems a bit of a theme for this episode <laughs> to some reason. The banks collapse, there's this refugee crisis with camps all over the place, and the state becomes ever more fascist and oppressive following the ascension of Emma Thompson's Vivienne Rook, whose rise mm-hmm. to political power is clearly modelled on Boris Johnson, because mm-hmm. she appears on things like Have I Got News For You as part of her becoming sort of publicly acceptable before the truth coming out, as it were. Which is particularly ironic, as when the last episode was shown on TV, The programme before it or afterwards was the Conservative Leadership Debate, Mm -hmm. which of course (laughs) Boris Johnson was on. So it was like life and art reflecting each other rather a lot there.
4: Emma Thompson as Prime Minister instead of Boris Johnson would be a dream, wouldn't it? You might not think that (laughs) the show.
0: It may not be what you think. As well as Emma Thompson, it stars Russell Tovey, Rory Kinnear, Jessica Hines. And it's this odd mix of family drama and Black Mirror. With less of a tech lamp, perhaps. Though one of the families getting uh, cyber
2: implants so that they can connect directly to the internet. That was the thing that put me off watching it because the idea of cyber transhumans and mm-hmm. the singularity and things like that just freak me out, and I don't think I could watch that because it would just scare me about the it's future. A very small part. Yeah,
4: you do know we're in the Matrix, don't you know?
2: Yeah, I know. I've had genuine freakouts about whether we are or not before. <laughs> So, thank you. (laughs) And given that you're surrounded (laughs) by wires at the moment, this is freaking you out totally. Why do
0: you
1: think
2: I don't wear the headphones?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that plotline doesn't go where you might think it does, though. I think the Mm. plotline, as that develops, is kind of more of a comment along those lines, like, is this a good idea?
4: Probably not. No,
2: never. In no circumstances. (laughs) Full stop. Don't need to see it.
4: (laughs) Has anyone else seen it?
1: I've seen all of it, yeah.
4: Is it sci-fi, or is it more a drama with sci-fi trappings?
1: Did you ever see humans? I only saw one series of it, but mm-hmm. I think it was a similar kind of tone where it was a mix of like say like the domestic, the family drama, yeah. and what technology means in that context and mm-hmm. one
0: thing that's common is this almost ordinariness of their lives, yeah. In the context of all these strange and revelatory things happening around them, mm-hmm. their lives are still kind of yeah, portrayed in a, in a very much British TV sort of way.
4: Mm-hmm. Does anyone remember when we were kids at school, they used to make us watch a TV series called... I can't remember the name of it. Threads or The War Game? No, uh, it was much, much duller than that. And it was like a made-for-schools drama series about the past, and it would follow a family over a decade or two decades and every episode was the next year but would like go through world wars and stuff so like one of the characters would go i'm off to war and then like four episodes later the mother would get a letter to go oh no little tommy's died in the war
1: yeah it's not like that
4: it's not like that (laughs) nothing like that John. (laughs) that was a terrible
2: show
1: that didn't happen in newcastle that must have been a leeds thing
2: (laughs) is it a sort of one day thing where it's the same day each year or does it is, is uh, there a no, chronology, the, strict no, a chronology it's to chronology what it? the story demands. Right? It yeah. takes
1: some little leaps, doesn't it, every yeah. now and then? So every now and then you'll get almost like a fast forward. You'll
2: it's f- like, hey, New Year again, and it's
0: yeah. the same thing <laughs> of fireworks, and they just change the number. <laughs> it's really good. It's not a fun watch, because some of the events hit very close to home, very much in line with the downhill slope we seem to have been on for the last couple of years. It wasn't that successful on broadcast TV. Apparently the ratings weren't great and it got outshone by um, The Planets, the Brian Cox thing on the other channel,
1: Wow,
0: which is kind of weird for BBC One versus BBC Two. I
1: must admit, before it was broadcast and I could watch it, I did not see a lot of information about it. It kind of Mm. arrived and I was quite surprised there was a new Russell T Davies drama on that I'd not heard more about. So I don't know if they were trying to sort of keep it mysterious what it was about, but I didn't feel like there was a lot of press out there about it.
0: It's not a great approach to publicity mm-hmm. doing it that the way. The other
1: thing I genuinely thought about it was that it's such political propaganda. It's such a direct comment on everything that's happening right now, yeah. like literally right now, that I almost thought, how could they have shown that during any kind of election? It's like, mm. it is propaganda. Yeah. It's basically saying, don't vote for these lunatics. Well, this is what will happen. So I wondered if they weren't allowed to promote it or if they had to like, pull back on when they could show it. Possibly, because they're not allowed to show, have I got news for you during the leadership election. So. Maybe that's why it kind of slipped out. Hmm.
0: And perhaps because they're thinking, well, there could be an election anytime, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's quick get it yeah. out quickly. Yeah, the future's bright. The future's Boris.
1: <sighs> so, have you seen it all, Peter?
0: Yes, yes. I thought it was really good.
1: What did you think of the ending?
0: Oh, yes. It takes a very odd turn for about the last ten minutes or so. Does the doctor appear? Nobody might as well. It
1: feels like he will, but yeah. he doesn't no. What was the time Cheek. frame that it actually covered?
0: I think it's only just a little over ten years.
1: Yeah, it's not that long, is it?
0: But it's almost like, you know the bits in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy's TV show where they're talking to Deep Throat? kind of almost goes like that for the last ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thought. Deep thought.
4: Deep Throat very different, different
0: film. Uh, it was a pirate about, copy. I always had my doubts about that one. <laughs> What about
3: Deep Thor? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: only you hazel
4: was deep throat hmm. as in the kennedy guy yeah. named after the porn film or was the porn film named after the kennedy guy and if the porn film was named after the kennedy guy what did Woodward and burnseed have to do to get the information <laughs> 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 it never revealed the no, sources
1: no, nobody has an answer for that john no,
0: no. i thought you to ask which came first the x-files or the this deep throat, was, deep the throat was the source in the, the, the X Files. Yeah. 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 Just checking because that was deathly silent. I was, <laughs> <laughs> solid I no was surprised by
1: that. that too. I didn't want to jump in. I assumed you must all know that.
0: Never
4: seen.
1: <laughs> never <laughs> seen X Files.
4: You've never seen what? How is that possible? Shame. Yeah. yeah,
1: That's a very big shameless gap you have to fill. Time.
4: Mm. <laughs> You've Just got let, got me get,
1: let
2: me get let me
4: get through Star Trek: The Next Generation <laughs> first. How far through are you?
2: Seven episodes into season three.
4: Really? You've been about a year yeah it's getting good now though isn't it it is it's like he's got his beard
2: riker has got his beard geordie's just been the third member of the bridge crew to fall in love with the holodeck <laughs> <laughs> they
1: yeah. should have gotten rid of that thing it yeah like it is, it is
4: nothing but <laughs> trouble can you imagine being the guy that has to clean the holodeck on a morning <laughs>
0: <gasps> so years and years all on the iplayer it is yes all six episodes It is a little glum in places, certainly, because it's dealing with pretty serious and pretty big things, but it keeps swapping to a light tone to not make it too oppressive.
1: Oh, would give a mild warning for eye stuff, though.
0: Okay.
4: It's not a week for you, is it, with recommendations and eyes?
0: No.
1: What, it's
4: worth
0: people Is there a website, because we were talking about a website before where you could, like, does the dog die.com? Yeah. Is there yeah. a sort of yeah.
2: does someone get their eyes poked out.com yeah.
1: yeah. Someone should do that.
2: And um, would you watch Years and Years all in one go, or would you leave a gap between each episode?
1: Like, I think I watched about three in a row and then had to wait for the subsequent ones, and I was annoyed about waiting.
4: I was surprised they dumped all of Killing Eve Season 2 as a box set, while showing yeah. it weekly on BBC. Yeah. It worked but for them
2: known. with Series 1,
4: though, mm-hmm. so they wanted yeah. to do the same.
1: I was kind of sad it was all over in essentially two nights, though.
4: Yeah. It wasn't as good, Mm. though, was it? No. Mm.
2: Peter, will you remember years and years, four years and years? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, for a year or two, certainly.
4: (laughs) How many decades out of a century would you give it?
2: (laughs) I would
0: give it eight decades out of a century.
2: And do you have any hope that the future will not turn out to be what happens in the series, however that might be?
0: After the amount of dystopia we've seen of late, mm, not really.
2: I'm going to stick with Forky, I think.
0: Mm. <laughs> so was Forky named after Toy Story 4? Was Toy Story 4 named after Forky? I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
2: He is a spork, as Hazel mm-hmm. said. Yeah. So,
3: Tom Hanks was talking about this on the Graham Norton show. Apparently the American audience wouldn't understand what a spork was. So they went with Forky, but he is a spork.
2: Yeah. In the film, he's mm. named by Bonnie, who is, you know, four or five years old. So yeah.
4: Mm. The next Thor film is going to be difficult to say. It's going to be Thor 4. Thor 4.
2: Uh, it's going to be Asgardians of the Galaxy, is it not?
4: Apparently James Gunn has said no. Oh. That's not the title. So
2: they're just going to drop him off in the first 30 seconds. Bye, Thor! <laughs> <laughs> he could be lying. There was lie for more movies. Mm. Yeah.
3: And that is all we've got time for for today's episode. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Remember to check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. If you're in the Newcastle area, come and check us out live at Alphabetti Theatre on the 2nd of August, 10.30pm. We will be bringing our podcast to the Newcastle Improv Festival and we'll be interviewing lots of improv acts and having a great banterist, pissed up discussion about everything that's improv.
2: Yeah, part of their 10 days of comedy and workshops and all sorts of exciting things going on. So mm-hmm. we'll be capturing the spirit of that live on stage and in person.
4: You can also see me and Dan and other shows during the Improv Festival. and Or not. <laughs> Peter awkwardly hanging at the side asking for our autographs. <laughs> yep. Louise is the official festival grouper, so she'll be being passed around like a sack of fun. I'll
1: be waiting in the green room.
4: <laughs> oh my. Yeah, 10.30pm, we're going to have to stay up late for that
2: one. Our recordings normally go on for four hours, so uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a late
4: one. Is that the latest you've ever stayed awake? Half oh, past ten. <laughs> yeah pretty much so we were offered a slot at the fringe at midnight for our comedy show and Dan was like I'll be asleep by then (laughs) (laughs) I really will
3: (laughs) our next episode will be our 40th so we're going to be doing something super special for that
4: we'll be buying a sports car and sleeping with a much younger podcast
3: (laughs) 40 year old virgin (gasps) (gasps) yeah (laughs) we'll be sleeping with a virgin no (laughs) you
4: have to find one first
3: (laughs) But until the next episode, you've been listening to... Trash. (laughs) Louise Taylor.
0: Peter Johnson. John Farthing.
3: And I'm Hazel Burton. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: So what have we learned this week? (laughs) We've learned that if we try and do one episode in the same amount of time,
4: it just takes twice as long
0: as it did when we did two episodes.
2: Yep.
4: We've learned our future is probably doomed. Is there any fun films where the future's nice?